0: Thank you, Mike. What a powerful song. Cry out to Jesus. You know, as I've been talking about trust and thinking about trust, I, you know, what if in all of our circumstances, all that we're going through, Christ is standing beside us just saying, trust me. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever you're going through this morning, I believe that's the case. I believe whatever you're going through this morning, whatever, whatever the trial might be, whatever the, whether it's good or bad, I, I believe God stands by your side, the Spirit stands by your side, and just simply says, trust me. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard, if we were honest. Sometimes we don't see readily what the answer might be, and it's not as easy to trust God. And other times it seems real easy. And I think when we talk about pain, and that's what we've been talking about this week and, and last week, when we talk about pain, that it's, it's easy sometimes to lose our ability to trust in the midst of suffering. And we do all that we can to eliminate pain out of our life. We uh, uh, we, we we medicate and do all those things that that can eliminate pain. And uh, as I was talking, thinking about this week's sermon, I my mind went back to the seventies. <laughs> And another time, a Pink Floyd song, that's right, your pastor's going to uh, quote a Pink Floyd song to you, but Pink Floyd in the Wall album talks about a guy that's going through all sorts of stresses and relationship issues, and at the end of it, he says something, the song goes something, I have become comfortably numb. (laughs) And I think some of us move through life to a point where we can just become comfortably numb where we don't feel pain, but when you don't feel pain, you don't experience life. And the the point of this is not to become numb to life, but it's to become alive to God, that somehow, through all the circumstances of life, we become more alive to the God who is and is working in our life. You know, all Scripture uh, points to pain and suffering as a pathway to character in life. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans 3 through 5, he says, Uh, 5, 3 through 5, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. In other words, it's through this suffering and pain that many times we develop the character and the hope and the life that God has in mind for us. So pain can move us towards a greater trust. When you're suffering, when you're going through difficult circumstances in your life, that this is not a reason to give up hope, but it's a reason to cling even tighter to your hope with the belief that, that somehow God can work through all circumstances for our good. I think many times it's a matter of asking the right questions and and I think life many times it is geared towards asking the right questions or the better question. I think when we're going through suffering, the easy question, the first question we ask ourselves is why? Or or what caused this? Or, you know, why am I suffering like this? Why am I going through this? And and I gotta say that is a reasonable question. It's not unreasonable. And I think it's okay to ask yourself, why am I suffering? Why am I going through these circumstances? But I think there's a, a better question that we can ask. And, and I think it's this: how can I use these circumstances to draw closer to God? You know, not not worry so much about the whys and the whats and the hows, but how in this circumstance can I somehow draw closer to God? That is the point of life. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the whole point of life is not how can I skim myself into heaven, how close to the edge can I go and make it to heaven, but the point of life is how close to God can I get? And whether you're going through good times or bad times, the, I think the, the proper question is, how can I use these circumstances to draw closer to God? Now, I think it's important to note that Jesus suffered. You know, God did not immune his own son from suffering. Through Jesus, God did not seek to eliminate suffering in this world. Instead, through Jesus, God experienced experienced suffering in this world. So, So we have a heavenly father that understands suffering because when Jesus came into this world, he did not exclude suffering from his life, but he embraced it. And we have a kinship with Jesus. We connect with Jesus because he suffered and he understands our suffering. George MacDonald A theologian writes, the Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. (laughs) In other words, in our suffering, somehow, when we're going through difficult circumstances, we can follow the lead of Jesus and we can see suffering as a pathway to God. Even, Even the cross, Jesus saw as a pathway to God. So pain and suffering, what you're going through is not necessarily separation from God, but it's an opportunity to connect with Jesus. In Philippians, Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul equates this ideal of suffering and, and, and the cross and trials and, and adversity is as sharing in the life experience of Jesus. And and to know Jesus, you know suffering. And to know suffering, we understand that it leads to life and resurrection. But we have to acknowledge that pain is subjective and relative. Some people experience pain differently. My dad it seems to be immune to pain. I don't know, there's something about him, you know, he can, have a, he can have a piece of wire stuck in his leg and he's just pulling out with the pliers, doing that kind of stuff. My dad was a barber and, and for a while he worked a second job in a machine shop. And, and one morning I got up, it was a Saturday morning and dad's finger was all bandaged and he was on his way to the barber shop to cut some hair. And I said, hey dad, what'd you do? He goes, well, I cut my finger. Okay. Okay. Fine. You cut your finger. Later on, I found out they lost about one third, or about the tip of his finger, in a press. That's not a cut in your finger to me. I'd have been laying in bed crying like a baby. But Dad was just on his way to work. You know, his pain is subjective. Some people handle handle pain and those kind of circumstances in a different way. My little brother is a pastor in Kentucky, and he loves to tell about a funeral for a person that was nearly 100 years old. Uh, you know it's always too too young, but you know the nearly 100 years old. That's a good long life, and, and and their kid, the 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 father's daughters were gathered around the casket. They were in their late 70s, early 80s, and Bobby said they were going. Oh Lord, why did you have to take Daddy so young? <laughs> Pain is subjective. And, and and it's relative. It, it depends on on what you've went through in your life in the past. A couple of weeks ago, we came back from Myrtle Beach, and I. I took a picture, and some of you saw it on Instagram, of a parking lot where a, a church, a group from my church at Trenton had had car trouble. They, they were a, a Christian rock band, and they were coming back from Tennessee, and the, and the van died, and, and they were there all day long, and I went down with some guys from the church in a truck and picked them up, and it was, it was an interesting story how we got them and all that, but they were there all day, and, and one of the band members posted on the Instagram picture, the longest day of my life. <laughs> I saw Michael last Saturday at a wedding and I said, Michael, my prayer for you is in 20 years you still say that was the longest day of my life <laughs> to sit in a parking lot with 8 to 10 hours with your friends. But pain's subjective and pain's relative. It depends on what we've went through in our life. And pain is a broad topic and that's why we're spending two weeks to talk about it. You know, there's, there's pain with a good result. This week we hiked, and we went from Cades Cove to um, Spence's Field. I believe we started about 2,000 feet elevation at about 4,900 elevation. So we went up about 2,900 feet in about a 5.2-mile period. It was a long haul up that mountain, right, Chris? And it was hard, but when we got to the end of it, I felt good. <laughs> to accompl- Now, I'm not sure everybody in my group will say the same thing. But I felt good. It was a good pain, if you will. Then there's pain associated with just sin and conviction when we've messed up and we know it and we see the cause and 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 we can move and we can act and we can listen to God. And then there's those real painful experiences. You know, as a pastor, I the the hardest part of my job as a pastor. You know, I, I can handle, um, you know, I like, to, I like to talk, and everybody said, amen, he never shuts up. You know, I, 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 I generally like people. Sometimes I don't like everybody else. But I like people, and I like to talk. And I don't even mind conflict. You can come up and smack me in the face, and I wouldn't care. Please don't try it. But dealing with suffering, uh, the extreme pain. See, as a, pa- and see, as a pastor, you kind of carry that stuff. It's kind of hard to shed it. You know, when you walk into a hospital room with a mother, with a newborn, and watch the baby take its last breath, that kind of sticks with you. When you counsel the kids of a mother who died of of cancer cancer way too early, that kind of sticks with you. When you talk with a, a, a spouse who's been abandoned, it kind of takes a hold of you. When you deal with an individual whose whose son has received a diagnosis that is a long and drawn out death sentence, it kind of hits you hard. When you deal with an individual that as a, as a young adult they've been sexually abused. Those kind of things stick with you. And so there's, there's extreme suffering in this world and I've seen it and I understand it's different than hiking up a mountain seeing a result. It's different than the just this, the, the pain of sin. There's this extreme suffering that sometimes we see in this world. It's heavy and it's draining. And sometimes... You see God, and He's speaking real clearly in those circumstances. You know, God's voice is there, and and you're rejoicing, even though it's heavy and it's draining. God is just screaming from the mountaintops. Last week, we used this quote from C.S. Lewis from The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis writes God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And there's time even in those extreme circumstances where God has shouted from a megaphone. But there's other times when it's not been quite the same experience. I, I was intrigued as I prepared these two weeks. I, I read two books by C.S. Lewis. One was called The Problem, of Pain. And, and then 20 years later, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And, and this is just this personal journal that C.S. Lewis wrote when he was going through the death of his wife and his thoughts. and And this is what C.S. Lewis writes, the same guy that says that pain is God's megaphone, says, meanwhile, where's God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to fill his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, When all other help is vain and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. Folks, sometimes God speaks through a megaphone in pain. But but I'm also aware that sometimes in our pain, we don't hear the megaphone of God. We hear the door slam and the locks bolt and we wonder where is God. See, sometimes... In our pain, God is quiet. You know, last week we talked about Peter and and uh, and you know Peter starts to go below the waves, and Jesus is right there. You know, he just has to reach out, and Jesus is there. He's constantly aware of the presence of Jesus, and I think adversity is like that at times. But sometimes it's like Job. <laughs> I think Job answers the question: What do we do when God is quiet? When everything seems to fall apart and, and you're not hearing God's voice, there's no megaphone, there's a shut door, what do we do? You know, Job is perhaps the oldest written book in the Bible and, it, and, and pain and suffering central. And I, I think it's easy to begin to think, well, Job's trying to explain the issue of pain, but, but really he's not trying to issue, uh, explain that issue. Philip Yancey writes, on the surface, the book of Job centers around the problem of suffering. The same problem I've been discussing in this book, underneath a different issue is at stake. The doctrine of human freedom, Job had to endure undeserved suffering in order to demonstrate that God is ultimately interested in freely given love. In other words, Job's not trying to explain why we have suffering in this world. Job is concerned with this question. Will I freely love God regardless of my circumstances? Will I make my circumstances the determining factor in whether God is worthy of praise and love and worship? Or will I love God regardless of what's going on in my life? So I'll read. And I want you just to listen, we're not going to put it on the screen, you can follow, I'm going to read beginning in Job chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read verse, through chapter 2, verse 11, I know that's longer, but I, but I want you just to listen to the story, okay? Um, if you want to follow along, follow along in your Bible, but maybe you just want to listen, I'm going to read it from the message, which is a contemporary paraphrase, listen to the story as if you've not heard it. We say we all know this story, but listen to it for a moment as if you've not heard it. Job was a man who lived in us. He was honest inside and out. A man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also very wealthy. 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a huge staff of servants, the most influential man in all the East. His sons used to take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children, thinking maybe one of them has sinned by defying God inwardly. Job made a habit of the sacrificial atonement just in case they had sinned. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, What have you been up to? Satan answered God, going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, Have you noticed, my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Satan retorted, So do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does he can't lose. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face, that's what. God replied, well, go ahead. Do what you want with all that is his, just don't hurt him. Then Satan left the presence of God. Sometime later, while Job's children were having one of their parties at the home of the oldest son, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and all the donkeys grazing in the field next to us. When Sabaeans attacked, they stole the animals and killed the field at hands. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. While he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, bolts of lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds and fried them, burned them to a crisp. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. While he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, Chaldeans coming from three directions raided the camels and massacred the camel drivers. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. While he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, your children were having a party at the home of the oldest brother when a tornado swept in off the desert and struck the house. It collapsed on the young people and they died. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. Job got to his feet ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and worshipped. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan also showed up. God singled out Satan saying, and what have you been up to? Satan answered God, oh, going here and there, checking things out. Then God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, is there? Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity. You tried to trick me into destroying him, but it didn't work. Satan answered, a human would do anything to save his life but what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away his health? He'd curse you to your face, that's what. God said, all right, go ahead. You can do what you like with him, but mind you, don't kill him. Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself, then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. His wife said, Still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. He told her, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Not once through all of this did Job sin. He said nothing against God. Now, Job is a deep book, and, and and to be honest, there's no way in, in a setting on a, on a Sunday morning, a one-sermon setting, that we could cover this book and, and, and get into all the depths, and, and I'm going to leave us right where we are. <laughs> I'm going to leave Job right in the midst of this immense sorrow, this immense physical and emotional pain. God's not evidently present. He's he's alone. There's no resolution. There's no resolution to his suffering. There's no happily ever after because if the truth be told, many of you are right there. You're not living in happily ever after. You're living in the midst of the storm. You're living in the midst of the pain and the suffering. And in this passage, we see two responses. You know, I've really never seen it before, but but, but you have Job and you have Job's wife. Both of them had very similar losses. Other than the physical loss that Job suffered, Job's wife lost everything everything as well. She lost the kids. She lost the homes. She lost the possessions. Everything that Job lost, his wife lost. What was her response? She said, Job, just curse God and die. You know, I'm going to love God when things are going right. But when things go haywire, when there's oppression and pain, and suffering, God's not worth loving. But the scripture says, Job still worshiped God. I will love God regardless of my circumstances. No matter what's going on around, whether things are good, whether things are bad, I will continue to love God. So the question for today is, is how do we deal with pain? How do we deal with suffering? How do we trust God? What do we do in the midst of these extreme circumstances? When God is quiet? I think Job shows us the way and and I would put it this way, Job mourned towards God. <laughs> You know, the suffering was there, the pain was there, and he experienced the pain. He didn't ignore the pain. He didn't act like everything was okay. But in his mourning, this mourning was directed to go, towards God. You know, suffering is part of the process of life, and, and, and nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to go through pain, and it's not something that we enjoy. But in all of our lives, there will come, there will come hardship and suffering and pain. And the question is, will we mourn towards God? Will, In those circumstances, will we continue to move towards God? And I'm going to show a video, and it's a video story that I believe will kind of illustrates what we're talking about. And the song that's playing with its blessings, you can listen to the words of the song, and, uh, which apply to this as well. But the video and the song, go ahead and play those, Meryl. It's one of the powerful, one of the most powerful images, video images that I've ever seen. I love so much about that. I I, I love the fact that the the father kept the detractors away, and I thought he was going to beat a couple of them senseless if they didn't back off. And I love how he found his lane at the end. I mean, that's kind of subtle, and maybe you haven't noticed it, but he finds his lane. You know, he didn't stop. Through the pain, even though he's by himself, he didn't stop, and at the end, there was God. There was the father. And many of you, you're going through something, and, And God's just inviting you not to stop. Don't give up. Job kept moving towards God, even in the silence. And that's our challenge. Can we keep moving towards God? You know, Jesus had unbelievable suffering on the cross. And on the cross, he says these words, He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a lot of ways you can look at that and say, oh, Jesus is quoting scripture. You know what I believe? I believe in that moment on the cross and that suffering, Jesus wasn't hearing God all all that clear. And and he joins us in the experience of life that sometimes in our suffering, it's just silence. Silence. But even in the midst of the silence, Jesus had trust that allowed him just to keep moving towards God. We'll ask Amy, is, is she in here to come and just play? And we're going to open our altars just if you want to come, stand with me if you will. You know, I don't know what you're going through. I, you know, maybe the Spirit's speaking to you, maybe he's not. But, you know, I want you to know our altars are always available. We're going to pause just for a few moments. But trust keeps moving towards God. Trust walks when it can no longer run. Trust crawls when it can no longer walk. Trust kneels when it can no longer crawl. Some of you, it's just time to kneel. You don't think you can go another step, but you just need to come and talk with God at an altar. We're going to wait just for a second. If you'd like to come, come quickly. As they've come forward, can some gather around them and pray with them as well? I don't want anybody at the altar. You don't have to counsel, you don't have to ask anything, but I don't want anybody up here without, without a hand on their back. Can, can we gather around and make sure everybody has someone with at least someone praying over them? Maybe you're not here today. <laughs> maybe you're not in the midst of the trial and maybe you're not sensing this. But if you live long enough, all of us come to this point. In the midst of suffering, wondering, is God there? And, 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 I, and the lesson of Job is this. E- even in the midst of the deepest, darkest time, God is still there. And he's still worthy of love and trust and sacrifice and praise. Let's pray. our Heavenly Father, right now, we, um, we just stop and we praise you. Lord, I understand this is kind of a heavy message. It's not lighthearted. It's not something we even want. And there's times, Lord, um, I'll be honest, as a pastor, I don't understand. I see pain and I see suffering and and I cry, Why? But Lord, help us, um, whatever we're walking through, that we will continue to move towards you. You know, in the video we watched, there's many yards that Redmond ran. The Father wasn't there. And Lord, like, it feels like that in our lives many times that we're running by ourselves. Everyone else is finished and we're just alone in the stadium struggling to get to the end. But Lord, make us have trust and faith that realizes even when we don't sense you as close, you're still there. And there's coming a day that will feel your arms wrapped tightly around us once again and, and Lord, it'll be you that leads us over the finish line. So Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, that you'll help us to trust. Lord, that as, as we talk about trust without borders, you'll reveal to us those things that we're holding back from you. Those areas that we're saying, no further. And Lord, we'll just trust you without borders. I love you, Lord. And I'm thankful for your... Um, love for me and your love for each individual in this church. May we allow that love to be the basis of our trust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.